the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Oh, boy, he is, and is there a lot to talk about tonight? Hello and welcome. It's the Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts with you. Hope you're doing well, and uh, awfully glad you spent some time with us here tonight. Keep you company as you're heading to... uh, home or wherever you might be off to on this Wednesday, the 22nd of January. Pretty full agenda tonight, coming up a little bit later on in this first hour, an eye-opening series of reports funded by the Institute for Family Studies. It is a shocker regarding our own state of California. And I won't say anything more than that, just to say, stay tuned for a real eye-opener. You're not going to believe this one. And a little bit later on, constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus is going to join us with an update on the case of the pastor in Spokane, Washington. You're not going to believe that one either. Well, we're just we're just full of all kinds of surprises tonight, aren't we? So let's get down to cases, shall we? One of the surprises that's not really a surprise at all, Planned Parenthood in the news today. 47 years after the landmark Supreme Court decision Roe versus Wade, anniversary of which is today, Planned Parenthood is launching a new abortion access campaign in California to, quote, promote reproductive rights. Translation into English, promote abortion. Planned Parenthood advocates and state lawmakers gathered at the state capitol earlier today to announce the launch of Future of Abortion Access in California. That's the campaign they're referring to. That would include a series of bills aimed at, quote-unquote, protecting women who visit Planned Parenthood clinics. Planned Parenthood claiming their clinics often face harassment and intimidation as women enter from abortion protesters. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, get a look at what's going on here. Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, Brian Johnston joins us now, and and, and Brian, you know, I, I, I guess um, while Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court decision might have happened in Washington D.C., California and the pro-life arena uh, certainly is kind of ground zero for these kinds of battles, and it's amazing the way in which we we attempt to, and unsuccessfully so, I might add, talk out of both sides of our mouth. We talk about protecting the environments. We're great when it comes to being animal rights activists. In fact, uh, I understand that the governor recently has made a statement saying that he wants the state of California to be the first in the nation that would stop euthanizing animals. I don't know whether that means you go out and build thousands of animal shelters or how you handle all that, but, you know, we want to make sure that we're we're protecting animals. Too bad that those protections don't reach all the way out to the unborn. Well, that's right, Craig. And, you know, uh, this governor has made no bones about the fact that he wants unlimited abortion. And that he has invited, if you recall, last May, on the 31st of May, 
he invited women across the nation to come to California for their abortions. And, again, this being January 22nd, I'd be remiss not to remind people that Roe versus Wade and the companion decision came down the same day. They're used together, and that's why there's a lot of confusion. But the other decision, Roe v. Wade dealt with Texas law. Doe v. Bolden dealt with Georgia law, so they combined it. It was the same justices, the same vote margin, 7 to 2. But in Doe v. Bolton, that's where Justice Blackman explained the famous health exception. And people confuse it with life of the mother. No, it's health. And Justice Blackman said that an abortionist can do an abortion at any time, and he doesn't need to have any physical reason, that the reasons can be basically psychological, emotional, sociological, whatever. And it's not the woman that makes the determination or request. It's the paid abortionist that can say, look, this might be a psychological or sociological problem later. So that applies even in late term. People think late term abortions are somehow limited. They're not. They're legal and paid for in California, and our governor has celebrated that. These are late term children. There's nothing wrong with the mother or the baby. And in California, we pay for it. So when he says he wants little animals protected, we cannot kill any more little animals. If only they would recognize that maybe if, if human beings were animals and if babies had fur, we'd have PETA on our side. We, we'd get something done. But the reality is that they're ignoring and intentionally not looking at this child. Anyone who sees these kids, late term especially, these are human babies. And every child is a wanted child. There are two years worth of waiting. There are literally two million adoptive couples waiting and longing for that very child, even if the child has a disability. There are people who take that child. Regardless of race, there are people who will adopt that child. We're looking at a very strange culture, and the battle is very much with us. But the fact is, until folks wake up and see, there's one other thing, and I think we've mentioned this when it comes to our governor, but we're one of the few states that actually has, Craig, we have the law of the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. And that is where, in the course of an abortion, again, it's a late-term abortion. They're being done in California. If the child is born alive, according to our state's laws, that's the one provision of abortion law that's still in effect. If the child is born alive, you have to treat that child. There's just one problem. That's why today we appeal to the governor. Please enforce the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. Because even though it's on the books, it's unenforced. There's no other regulations. You know that all the other regulations in California have been removed at the request of Planned Parenthood. It's an unregulated industry, and yet it's still on the books. But it can't be enforced because there's no one monitoring abortion clinics. There is no government agency monitoring abortion clinics. Isn't that remarkable? And I mean, they 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 will they will monitor how Lyft and Uber are performing. They will go in and check the kitchens of restaurants across the state. You can't cut hair in the state of California 
without having a license that has to be renewed every so often, and yet abortion clinics that are performing invasive surgery thousands of times every year, putting women's lives at risk thousands of times every year, um, run completely uncontrolled, uninspected, unregistered. It's just remarkable. And, you know, you you might look at that, Brian, and say, well, there's a bit of a moral disconnect there, uh, or Californians tend to be morally ambiguous. And I think we're morally confused. We, We attribute, as you suggested in your opening remarks, more value to animal life than we do human life. And I'm not suggesting that it's not important to protect animals. I've been an animal owner most of my life, though I am not now. And uh, they're certainly God's creatures and should be uh, afforded every opportunity at life. But if they, then how much so more should children? Yes, that's exactly right. Greg, in this battle, I know listeners know this, it's a battle of ideas and the words are misleading. If this is if this is reproductive rights, what this isn't reproduction. Killing a baby is nothing to do with reproduction. If that's the case, then a mafiosi could make the case that they're involved in reproductive rights because when they make a hit, that person's not going to reproduce anymore. So that's a reproductive right. So the in, intellectually dishonest, deliberate twisting of language, or as you know, choice, but somehow choice doesn't refer to all the other options. Choice somehow simply is equated with ripping up a human baby and throwing it out. They won't use those words. They just want to make sure that choice is practiced. And so the the word games that are intentionally used to confuse and lull people into not looking at that child and to not thinking about that child, it's hugely significant. And that's why we have to not let down our guard and be willing to bring clarity. And again, we want to take the governor up on his offer that this be a no-kill state. It's a great phrase. And we'd like babies to at least be considered at least on par with animals. According to the Constitution, a human being is actually more valuable than an animal. You cannot own a human being. You cannot kill a human being you claim to own. That's why slavery was ended. Well, and you know, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm I, I would go along with that idea if we wanted to be um, sort of the harbinger, the the trendsetter of becoming the first no kill state in the union. Uh, we start by saying we will not kill prisoners on death row, so we eliminate the capital punishment. We wish to not kill animals in product testing, so. We eliminate or make that a, a, a prohibition, and we're no longer going to euthanize animals. I, that raises another set of questions, but we'll set that aside for a moment and say, fine. But then on that same list should be, we will no longer perform abortions in California because California has declared itself a no-kill state. So if we're going to be true to our intent, then let's be consistent to our intent. Sadly, of course, uh, Brian, is, as you and I know, and listeners, I'm sure to a great degree as well, um, Organizations like Planned Parenthood, those who profit off of abortion, financially profit off of abortion, they love to toss around words like choice because that fits in the same basket as freedom and liberty, apple pie and the American flag. And we all get good feelings about that. And we think this is what America is all about, freedom, liberty, choice. But how much choice does the baby have as the abortionist's suction machine is about to approach it. They have no choice at all, do they? I'll mention, by the way, that um, there's going to be a very special event 
It is the 16th annual Walk for Life West Coast, scheduled for this Saturday, January the 25th. It'll begin at 10.45 a.m. at Civic Center Plaza in San Francisco. And uh, they will begin with the Silent No More Awareness Campaign, followed by a info fair from 11 until 12.30 p.m. Then the main event, of course, 12.30, rally, speakers, and then um, the uh, the actual march from Civic Center Plaza to the Embarcadero that will begin at 1.30 p.m. Details on the web at, I had it here a moment ago, it's still here, I just have to find it. Where did we put it? <laughs> yeah, do, 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 do. You know what? I've got every bit of information here except the website. Well, do a Google. I think, I think walkforlifewc.com, I think that is. Shall we try it? Can, can you be a patient listener for just a moment? Joel is going to try to be patient, too. Walk for life. WC dot org and see if that comes up. No? Didn't like that. Uh, walk for life WC for West Coast dot com. That's it. Walk for life WC dot com. Walk for life WC Com. Our thanks to Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Brian, do keep us a apprised of uh, progress on the uh, the governor's desire to make California a no-kill state. And let's all of us hold them to it, shall we? Across the board. 520 from KFAX. Walkforlifewc.com. Details on the March for Life coming up this Saturday, the 25th in San Francisco. 16th annual, the largest in the country. Good stuff. All right. Traffic, they say we're almost largest, maybe second behind LA. Let's see what's going on out there from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Yeah, speaking of um, pro life matters, one encouraging word out of Washington, D.C. Uh, The March for Life coming up this weekend. Uh, We just got word that President Trump will deliver a speech there in person. I'm sorry, it said Saturday. I misspoke on Friday. Um, And while other presidents have spoken through video, he will be the first one to ever attend the rally live and in person. Certainly one of the highest profile events of the calendar year in the pro-life movement. And uh, that'll be coming up in Washington, D.C. this coming Friday, followed by our own event here in the Bay Area Saturday. And again, details on the web at walkforlifewc.com. Well, this is the story that just keeps on giving, isn't it? Out of Spokane, Washington. We've been sharing with you the plight of Pastor Yangton, who... um, Taxpayer, local leader, church leader, involved citizen, found out about how the um, local public library was hosting a drag queen story hour. And uh, thought probably a reaction was as much as yours just was there. I thought, what? And decided it would be advisable to go find out what it was all about. Didn't show up to protest, make a statement, do any of that, just figure out what was going on. And... Uh, had a bit of an encounter with the the fine 
Spokane Police Department and wound up in jail for no good reason. Well, there's another layer to this story we're just learning about. And to get details, we're joined by Brad Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. And this is a this is a bit of a twist. We knew of part A, but I guess we call this part B of the story, Brad. Yes, and uh, it's, it's, it's uh, most unfortunate. But what happened is uh, you heard about another dry clean story hour. And uh, this pastor has a real heart of, of love and compassion for these kids. And uh, he wanted it to uh, show up. And like other uh, members of the press, he's also has a, uh, a newspaper and he, uh, a, that goes out, a Christian newspaper, and he also is a, uh, a journalist. So he's a, has a media pass. He's a recognized, certified media uh, pass. So he's, uh, he shows up like the other media, and they tell him, they said, oh, yeah, we, we know about you, so you can't, um, you, you can't interview anyone like the other people in the press. Since you have a bias, since you since we know you don't, you're not in favor of it. We're not going to let you talk to anyone uh, at all. Uh, we're going to treat you differently. And he, of course, he contacted us at Pacific Justice Institute, and uh, our attorneys uh, quickly moved on this and have uh, filed a uh, civil uh, lawsuit uh, against uh, the law enforcement for uh, treating people differently once again because of their beliefs, and uh, instead of treating them all uh, all equally. Uh, and so that's it's a, it's a very important lawsuit, and it's unfortunate that the, that law enforcement and their bias and obvious bigotry is, is not being resolved, and it's continuing to this day. And, and r- remarkable. Now, give us an update with regard to uh, where things stand with the prosecutor's office. So when last we spoke, they were uh, they were not very amenable to the idea of dropping charges and look like they're trying to uh, to make a, a, a distinctive anti-religious point here. Where does that stand? Oh, they're still just as adamant as ever uh, to go after their, quote, religious loonies, end quote, is how they, uh, the prosecutor referred to this. Uh, our client and uh, people like him. Uh, anyway, this—they're—they're uh, they're filing an appeal after they, after the judge dismissed the case, uh, which is a major insult to a, a prosecution attorney uh, to have something just flat out dismissed. And then, then they tried all—they filed a motion for reconsideration. She dismissed it again, denied the motion, uh, and now they're just uh, hardcore. So they're—they're they're appealing this. Uh, what they're appealing is the judge telling them that they can't exclude people from public events just because they're Christian or because they're holding a Bible or because they're of their beliefs. Um, people have to be treated equally by the government when it comes to attending public events. In that case, our, the pastor was uh, not only denied, but he was then arrested and uh, had uh, criminal charges brought against him for not obeying the police officer's edict to uh, go to the other side of the street and be uh, treated differently. Wow. Well, it just, uh, yeah, as I said, this is the story that just keeps on uh, keeps on giving, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, yes. And I will assure you, Craig, as you know, we at Pacific Justice Institute are going to keep on, uh, keep on uh, litigating and representing uh, toe for toe as far as we need to until justice is fully served. 
Well, we appreciate the update and continuing to uh, to prevail in this case on on behalf of poor uh, Pastor Yankton. I mean, I, I guess if you could turn back the clock, you think maybe I should have just stayed home. But you know, we all have a responsibility as taxpayers, concerned citizens, uh, to to find out what's going on in our communities, particularly what is being done at taxpayer expense in our name. And uh, I, I'm, I'd, I'd love for somebody from the city of Spokane beyond giving an answer to why they are endorsing this behavior by both the police department and apparently by the DA's office. Uh, but more importantly, and you're thinking of having Drag Queen Story Hour for children was exactly what again? Amazing. Simply Amazing. The world in which we live. There's an update. Brad Dacus, president, founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. More news, more word online at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Now, at least you think it's all bad news. I'll tease you by saying, coming up after the break, you're going to hear something about California you won't believe. And it's some encouraging news, while we've been filled with not much of it here tonight so far. It's some encouraging news to suggest there may be hope for us yet. You'll find out how and why coming up next. Right now, the how and why of traffic. That's coming up right now for you at 530 from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. We're here at 530, aren't we? 536, actually, to be uh, to be more precise. And I'm about to blow your mind with this one. <laughs> now, if I said to you, California, we have a reputation for being progressive. We have a reputation for being left of left. Not that our coast can get any more Left than it already is, we have a reputation for promoting non-traditional families. Much of this, of course, under the drive, the machine called Hollywood, Silicon Valley, I think, has largely helped to promote that as well here in the Bay Area. Both, I think, if I made the statement, were arguably a global force for cultural liberalism, you would say, yeah, just about everybody in our fair state would agree to that. Let's set all that on the head, because there is a major contradiction here in that what we say, what we promote, what we export, is not quite squaring up with how we live. Enter W. Bradford Wilcox, senior fellow with the Institute for Family Studies, on a new report called State of Contradiction, Progressive Family Culture, traditional family structure in California. Now, uh, Mr. Wilcox, typically people don't hear the radio skip, but <laughs> they're thinking, it's like the record, the needle on the record skip, that I hear Craig just say that it's progressive family culture in California with traditional family structure. Wait, how could that be? Uh, this is a pretty remarkable study. Tell us about um, some of the brass tacks here. Yeah, Craig, what we find is that despite the fact that I think globally and nationally California is, you know, um, promoting 
uh, family diversity and, you know, lots of other things. Um, when it comes down to what's happening on the ground, we see that there are more intact married families in California um, than there are in the nation as a whole. So there are uh, about 67% of California families are headed by intact married parents compared to 63% in the U.S. as a whole. And that story is driven primarily by um, by two things. Uh, one is that there are a lot of immigrants in California, and they tend to have more traditional families. And then there are lots of Asians, more Asians in California than any other state in the nation. And Asian Americans also have uh, more traditional families, and so more likely to be stably married, um, you know, with the, with the kids in the household. So those two things are, you know, a big part of this. A state of contradiction in California. But the other fascinating thing we find in the report is that highly educated Californians who overwhelmingly embrace progressive attitudes in the abstract, you know, for the public at large, are more likely to embrace a traditional family life for themselves. Um, so we find, for instance, that 85% of college-educated Californians want to celebrate family diversity, you know, in general. But when it comes to their own kids, 68% say that they want to have their own kids in marriage. 80% of them are in in their first marriage, uh, you know, if they've got kids. So again, they're sort of talking left globally when it comes to family issues, but pursuing a more traditional approach for themselves and for their own children. So they 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 like it. They they embrace it. Um, they they give mental assent to it um, in an abstract form, but in the concrete, it it really tells a different story, doesn't it? That, that's right. And someone you know responded to this, <clears throat> this uh, report on Twitter by sort of saying they're optimizing in, in two different zones, right? So, you know, California, as you know, exports movies, TV shows, music, uh, among other things, to the tune of more than two hundred billion dollars a year. And a lot of those you know, cultural offerings um, are advancing a more progressive or, or even kind of simply hedonistic agenda. Um, and that's a lot of money. Um, it's flowing into the coffers of a lot of folks in California. Um, but there's also been which they're optimizing their own family welfare by you know, pursuing a formula that's tried and true. That is getting married, staying married, and giving your kids the benefit of a strong and stable family life. So it's, you know, it's it works for them. The, the problem, of course, I think, is that the kinds of values, uh, the kinds of messages that are being offered by a lot of California's offerings, you know, tend to undercut, you know, families, um, native-born families in California, in the U.S., and obviously nowadays even around the globe. And, and, you know, maybe part of the story here as well is that um, what is put on display before the media and the world, what is produced and exported by Hollywood, while it may emanate from California, doesn't necessarily represent California nor California values. Maybe we get a bad, uh, a bad rep in that sense. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, what's fascinating is we also look at the neighborhood story in California, and we find that there are plenty of neighborhoods uh, along the coast in, you know, the hills of Hollywood um, and in the Bay Area, in San Francisco, 
like Pacific Heights, close to where Speaker Nancy Pelosi lives, um, that have very high rates of two-parent families. Um, in fact, we found three neighborhoods right in Hollywood proper, including the Whitley Heights Historic District, which is sort of the original Hollywood neighborhood. It's just in, under the shadow of the Hollywood sign um, between uh, the Dolby Theater where the Oscars are held and, and, and the Hollywood sign, in fact, where there's essentially 0% single-parent families. Um, so you have all these kind of affluent, you know, prestigious neighborhoods in Southern California, including Hollywood and the Bay Area, where, again, people are optimizing for themselves and their kids. And here is that that's not a problem. That that's, makes sense. But the problem is they're not getting behind that same strategy in a public way in the kind of cultural influence they have, you know, through their music, their... Um, their TV shows, their movies, um, et cetera. Uh, this is an interesting study because not only does it uh, uh, set a lot of uh, sort of historical misconceptions aside um, and, and demonstrate a major contradiction here in our state, but maybe also something for all of us to learn from, from the standpoint of, and, uh, you know, this this is certainly not a viewpoint held universally by Californians. In fact, more people probably out of our state hold this opinion than in our state. But there's always been sort of the sense of uh, immigration, bad, John Desai, put up walls, let's make sure these people don't invade our state, our country, they're taking over. Um, and they're importing all kinds of terrible things with them. Well, as you're suggesting here, uh, one of the things that immigrants import with them is a little different stance or viewpoint on on family and the importance of family. And it seems to hold true both in terms of, as you suggested, not just the fact that those with a higher education seem to be more marriage-minded, uh, but those coming from other countries seem to be more family-oriented or marriage-minded as well. And that's, that's I think, uh, going to bother some in this country, but certainly good news for us, wouldn't you think? Yeah, we actually look at, we have a YouGov survey in this report that we're talking about. And when it comes to the idea, it's very important for me to be married before having children. Uh, no group has as high, you know, a percent on that attitude um, compared to Asians. So 75% of Asians in California, you know, agree to that. And only 66% of blacks, 63% of whites, and 59% of Hispanics in the state. So it's just one example of the way in which Asians are more likely to value having kids in marriage. They have the same approach to divorce. They are more likely to enter a group to say that couples with children should make every effort to stay married. Um, so, you know, it's that kind of family-first mindset that propels Asians um, into more stable families. And that's a, a big part of the reason why now, today in America, there is no group as affluent as Asian. They're the most affluent racial group in America. And part of the reason that is the case is because um, they keep together in their families, and that pays big dividends on both a short-term and a long-term basis. 
If you've just joined our conversation, we're visiting today with W. Bradford Wilcox. He's senior fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, a new IF study out called State of Contradiction, Progressive Family Culture, Traditional Family Structure in California, uh, giving us some numbers that really sets on the heels what have been long-held viewpoints that are now quite erroneous viewpoints concerning California. Uh, Here's another one for you. Uh, When you look at um, the national numbers uh, for children between the ages of, say, 0 and 17, um, nationally about 62% of them are living with these children. They're married biological parents, 62%. And yet in California, it's 65%. I realize, you know, three percentage points, that's not overwhelming. No, but it is telling and indicative that uh, not only is there um, movement in the right direction, but maybe some of these values will rub off on the rest of us. Let's get back to more of our conversation, more of the study, as Lifeline continues after this quick update on traffic. Get that look for you right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. W. Bradford Wilcox is with us. He's Senior Fellow at the Institute for Family Studies. We're talking about this new IFS report entitled State of Contradiction, Progressive Family Culture, Traditional Family Structure in California. Now, one of the encouraging words here, and I know we often have strong opinions about uh, some of what goes on in the so-called institutes of higher learning um, and a lot of the, the left-leaning progressive politics that are embedded in, in many colleges and universities. And yet, ironically, and this may be only because they're, they're broadly more broadly aware of things going on around them, that we find um, the educated Californian is more likely to embrace marriage before baby, personally. And to show you how uh, remarkable that point spread is, um, for an individual of high school grade education or less to hold the value that um, marriage before baby is personally important or very important to me, being married before having children, um, of the respondents, high school education or less, 59% responded in the inferative, but at the college or uh, graduate degree level, 68% responded in the affirmative. And and that's encouraging. And I I have to wonder, as you look at a study like this, uh, Mr. Ilcox, is is there a sense, um, and I know this is almost more of a, 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 a guesstimate than anything else, but I have to wonder, when we see these trends here in California, we understand that a lot of the skewing, so to speak, of these uh, otherwise norms across the country are because of the makeup of the population of California with significantly larger percentile of both Asian and Hispanic families. In fact, uh, Hispanics um, that are parents between the ages of 18 and 50 make up 46 percent of California. I have to wonder, these values um, related to children and marriage um, – do you see that as a sign that they're going to potentially help maybe set a better example for all of us? Or will will some of the old guard uh, progressive Californians end up corrupting them? 
Yeah, and that's, that's actually a $100,000 question. Right? It, it is, isn't it? Almost unfair to ask you that. I realize you don't have a crystal ball, but you look at that and think, okay, this is good news. I hope that they're going to teach us a lesson as opposed to us bringing them down. Yeah, so I think, you know, the, on the one hand, what's discouraging about even the California story is that you find that second generation, um, you know, Asian Americans, for instance, are less likely to be stably married than first generation Asian Americans. So there's clearly a way in which what's happening, you know, in California, our culture is not as conducive to strong families. But, you know, I think the other interesting thing here is that there's a way in which, you know, a lot of my peers in the academy um, here in Virginia um, and in sort of more educated circles in general have kind of pragmatically stumbled upon the value of staying married. Um, and we've seen a dramatic decline in divorce since 1980, particularly among college-educated Americans. So, you know, if we can just get people to, you know, as I said in National Review, to kind of talk about um, what they're doing in their own families now today. You know, if they're a school superintendent or a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor or not to mention a producer or director or writer in, in Hollywood, I think we could begin to, you know, change the culture and in a, in a much better direction. And, and there's always, I think, that possibility. And, and can um, some of this be attributed not just to the influence of, of uh, migrants, but also maybe to some some beginning of a degree of heightened awareness of the so-called um, fallout of marriage and divorce? And I ask that question because I myself am a product of, of divorce. And uh, if you get uh, the children of divorced parents together and we have a conversation uh, about our childhood and uh, its impact on our adulthood, I, I would suggest to you that almost to a person, uh, if I had 20 in this room, all 20 would say, yeah, you know, if if I'd had a vote or it could have been done all over again, I would have preferred my parents would have stayed together because there are ways in which their divorce not only impacted me as a child, but in many respects continues to impact me, perhaps even to my own marriage relationship, to this very day. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of adults today who grew up in divorced homes or, in, you know, um, who experienced family turmoil in the 70s, you know, in the 80s, um, recognize the problem and are trying to do something about it in their own lives. And so yeah, I think there has been a kind of social learning. I think the challenge is, can we publicly articulate this? You know, can we talk about it in our public schools? Can we talk about it in our university lecture halls? Can we talk about it on TV and, you know, in the media? That's the question. It's, it's, there's been a shift sort of quietly under the radar among the college-educated set on this. Now, the question is, will they be honest enough to talk about it in public? I mean, that's the challenge, you know. And it's a challenge because, of course, people want to be seen today as tolerant and accepting of family diversity. Um, but... If we if we recognize the importance of stable families for everyone, including poor working class Americans, we've got to do a better job of articulating, you know, the norms and ideas that sustain strong families in public. Well, and you know, listen, I, I think the the ability to be tolerant to the degree to which we recognize that things happen in life, mistakes are made, bad decisions are made that have consequences that sometimes lead a marriage to divorce uh, and, and not to, uh, you know, 
ostracize a person because they've gone through that. Uh, I think that that kind of tolerance in that sense is important. That said, I think there's also tremendous importance in being willing to acknowledge that there is an ideal. It is more ideal, for example, to earn enough money to be able to buy your own home than to rent, or to be able to rent than to end up sleeping in a tent. We look at that and say, you know, uh, money, filthy, filthy lucre, uh, it can be problematic, but it can also be very helpful. And ideally, it's better to have a little bit more than an awful lot less. So, I, you know, that's kind of an awkward, perhaps, uh, comparison. But the point that I'm trying to make is that there is still ultimately an ideal set of circumstances. If those ideals, for some reason, are impossible to achieve or we fail in the process of at least attempting to achieve them, that's one thing. I think what we've gone is to the extreme opposite and said that nothing matters at all. Whatever you do doesn't have any any uh, impact one way or another, although, sadly, the, the, the absolute truth is just the opposite of that. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think, you know, we're not going to go back to 1955 or you know, 1755 on any of these things. And, you know, we're not going to go back to an age when people would be, um, you know, needlessly stigmatized, you know, for, you know, a divorce where a spouse is, you know, abusive or unfaithful or, um, you know, otherwise, you know, really failing to meet the bar. But what we can do, I think, as you just said, is, is be, be honest and be clear about the, just the, the simple facts of life, and that is that um, people who get married and stay married do a lot better financially um, and otherwise, on average, and their kids do a lot better. And, you know, when you're hitting a tough spot in your marriage, as most people do if they're married, you know, try to keep in mind that there's a long-term, um, you know, the long term matters too, and you know you have to remember that you're establishing, you know, a legacy, uh, not just for yourself, but for your kids, your grandkids, and everything else. And if you can kind of keep this thing together, you know, um, that's going to be something really important for not just for yourself, but for your children, your grandchildren, and, and generations beyond. An encouraging study, a revealing one that gives us a bit of a reflection uh, on who we are as Californians and, and maybe something, uh, something more hopeful to work and strive for. W. Bradford Wilcox, Senior Fellow with the Institute for Family Studies. We appreciate your time. More information on State of Contradiction, Progressive Family Culture, Traditional Family Structure in California, available online at ifsstudies.org. That's ifsstudies.org. Six o'clock from KFAX. Time now for your update on traffic.